0: Good morning and greetings to each and every one of you here. It's good to be together in this way. I've appreciated the thoughts that were shared both in devotional and uh, here in Share Time as we prepare to further look into, your, into God's Word and uh, worship together. This morning, I am going to uh, be sharing the concluding message that I did out in Ohio back in February. And I just want to make a couple of comments in relation to that. Uh, Again, this is something that I was not really planning to do uh, when I set out to do those series of messages. Yet it was something that was requested, and I wanted to honor that. Part of the reason was that it was geared toward church leaders. And yet, as both as I was preparing it for out there and also for here, I recognized that while there's a limited number of church leaders here. Each one of us do have leadership responsibilities in whatever realm God has placed us. And we certainly are all disciples of Jesus Christ, or that I, I think that we all want to be and uh, have, have decided that we want to... And so in that sense, it does apply to all of us. And so while while some of this is more maybe... Uh, approached from that perspective of church leaders, it certainly applies to all of us. The two sermons uh, preceding this one and I had done one on on fathers uh, that we I had shared back the summer last summer, but then the idea that leaders have limits, but then also that leaders are are to serve, to sacrifice and to suffer willingly and uh, and so that's where I've kind of gone so far uh, with this. This morning is certainly a a little bit more broader or more general. That certainly applies to all of us, although I'll be looking at leaders' lives uh, from Scripture. As I look around in culture and even some in our Anabaptist churches, if you will, there are far too many leaders and disciples of Jesus that have tarnished the beautiful gospel by personally compromising biblical principles while they say publicly they're affirming them. Basically, they're living two-faced lives. And I believe that there is little that does more damage and discredits the life-changing power of the gospel than prominent church leaders who are found out to be living double-standard lives. Um, it's, it's just a horrible mark on, on Christianity. And in recent years, I don't know if the numbers are increasing or if there's simply more awareness. But it seems like there's more and more of those are known. And, you know, and only the prominent ones make the headlines. Uh, there's a lot more that are happening that we never even hear about. And it is just a problem across the church. And there's a significant variation on the types of compromises that are made. You know, some, it's an extramarital affair that has been covered over for years. For others, there's sexual abuse that they have been involved in and over long periods of time. Then there's the idea of abuse of power, where there's unquestioned uh, obedience and loyalty demanded, a cult-like idea. Then there's the financial Abuse and mismanagement, using other people's money for your own personal gain. And then there's even the outright rejection of the gospel. So, I mean, there's a huge variety of things that I'm talking about when I talk about compromising the gospel of Jesus Christ. And there are several prominent cases that have certainly affected me, impacted me over the last several years uh, more than others. And one of those is Bill Hybels at Willow Creek, uh, who resigned several years ago over claims of sexual misconduct that had been spanning decades. He denies it uh, but but that accusation uh, and and there's there's seeming evidence there as well <clears throat> and then several years ago also Joshua Harris, um, a prominent speaker of Writer, author, leaving his wife, and basically walking away from Christianity in, entirely. I had a book um, that I read, uh, Dangerous Calling, and it was talking about the dangers that pastors face. Joshua Harris endorsed that book and talked about how critical it is for leaders to look at this. And yet he is the one of these that walked away from Christianity. I had heard Joshua Harris speak several times, had met him several times. He seemed like a very devout person. And then, most recently, the revelations of sexual misconduct by Ravi Zacharias that have been confirmed by an independent investigation. Um, Again, someone that I would have looked up to and respected uh, significantly. And there's many others. uh, Carl Lentz, uh, Ted Haggard... Bill Gothard, all of these have had had significant and prominent roles in the church, and yet they have tarnished the gospel with the double standards of their lives. So you have to ask yourself, how is it that these prominent and seemingly effective, I think we would even describe most of these as effective Christian leaders, reject God's truth and justify sin in their lives. I have no basis, no reason to question their salvation or the sincerity that they had in following Christ initially or that even that they had didn't have the qualifications for the leadership positions that they ended up holding. However, one thing's obvious, somewhere along the way, somehow their values and their character changed since they assumed that role. And it did something to them. It changed them. And I've entitled this morning's message, Character Matters. Character is who I am. Our true character is revealed in those moments, at those times when we believe with all our heart that no one else will ever find out what I am doing in this given situation. That's where our true character is revealed. Paul was concerned about this with Timothy and and where that could lead him in the course of his ministry. And and so he emphasized that. We're going to be looking at, at, at Timothy a bit. But at the core of our being, there are, those certain, there are certain attributes that truly define who we are. And only God and you know what those characteristics truly are. Our values, our motivations, our convictions, our philosophy, our theology, our worldview, all shape and define our character. And when we choose to become a disciple of Jesus, that's going to profoundly alter these aspects and begin to transform our character into uh, Christ-likeness. And then as we're through this process, as we're being sanctified, how we respond to being wronged by others, by authorities placed in our lives, and temptation and things like that, that will further develop and shape our character. And over time, years of our lives, these underlying values that we, and motivations and philosophies and theology and worldview that we hold will change as we mature and gain life experience. And they change either into a more Christ-like perspective or into a less Christ-like perspective. That's the only way that they're going to change. But they will change as we gain experience in this, as we, uh, as we live life. The problem is that we're human. And most of us have a natural and sinful skill to act in certain ways, in certain environments, to portray something different than our true underlying character. And that's something every one of us has to battle. Are, do we... Is who we are, what people see and perceive about us? As a disciple of Jesus, and certainly a church leader, becomes increasingly popular or successful, influential, and powerful, the greater the temptation to start shifting some of those underlying values to capitalize on our own strengths and our own abilities and the giftings that we have, while maintaining the facade that nothing has really changed. So we just sh- subtly start shifting and relying on ourselves rather than on God. And slowly we put more and more confidence in ourselves rather than God. Slowly we begin to believe that we can indulge in certain things even if we know that they're wrong because we have the ability to handle it and to keep it from others, keep others from finding out. And so we... Slowly begin to indulge in that. And I believe that devout disciples of Jesus and church leaders in particular are specifically targeted by Satan with these kinds of temptations and attacks. And that's why Paul spent some time admonishing Timothy on this. And so I'd like for you to turn to 1 Timothy 6. <clears throat> We're going to use, I'm going to read this entire chapter. And this is going to be a springboard for looking at this idea that character matters. 1 Timothy 6. And I would like for you all to read. uh, stand as we read this. Please stand. 1 Timothy 6, and this is from the English Standard Version. Let all who are under a yoke as bondservants... It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. And now he has a response to those warnings. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things, and of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time. He who, has, he who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen." Guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. For by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. Grace be with you. You may be seated. We're not going to be going through this entire passage verse by verse by any means this morning. But I want to pick up on some of the themes that we see in this uh, letter to a young church leader that Paul is concerned about and wanting to warn him about. I don't think it's too difficult for us to see uh, some of the warnings like in verses 3 through 10 that those types of issues are still the types of issues that many of us face today that certainly church leaders face and, and that even as devout believers we face and probably have contributed to the downfall of many successful church leaders in our lifetimes. And there's several themes that I notice in these warnings in verses 3 through 10. And I'm not going to uh, necessarily just bring direct correlation to it. or Like I say, it's themes. I'm not saying it's explicitly stated. But the first one is in verse 3, and that is that of strategic messaging. And that means like... Not overtly anti-biblical, but little focus on sin and repentance and the call to holiness. A feel-good kind of message an appeal to emotions rather than the truth. But that's, that's a temptation for leaders, is to do something that is popular, that, is, that isn't too harsh, that isn't uh, maybe not overtly untrue but just leaving some of the truth out of things as well. In verse 4, you have the idea of of the temptation of of pride and arrogance, becoming a know-it-all, an authority on on things. A person who um, kind of has the idea that who are you to ask questions or to, to challenge me, an attitude of superiority toward others. And then in um, verse 5, the idea of manipulating godliness for one's own gain. Uh, it, I never noticed the threat of godliness and uh, through here, but several times godliness is mentioned a couple times in a negative way, in meaning that they use godliness to accomplish something other than godliness, but then he concludes with godliness with contentment. But uh, So the idea of manipulating godliness for one's gain. Finding ways of making lots of money and gaining popularity by skillfully packaging and appealing godliness. Production that's attractive and appealing. You know, books, videos, podcasts, and adapting then the message for potential financial gain and for profits. And uh, verses 6 and 7. The lack of contentment. Already I've mentioned this. Always wanting bigger and better and more. You know, whether it's audiences or members or facilities or staff or money, it's just this hunger for more than what you have. And, and then also you know, a discontent with what God has actually given and entrusted to us. And then verse 8, an entitlement mentality. I deserve this. No one should challenge me. I will do what I want to do. No one can tell me what to do. You should support my ambitions. And so these are the types of uh, themes of temptations that people face. I think that we probably have all, to some degree or another, faced those kinds of temptations. And so then while warning Timothy about these potential dangers, these temptations that every pastor, every leader faces. He then also provides guidance on things that are helpful to pursue. Um, So he starts in in verse 11 then, but as for you, O man of God, what? Flee these things. Uh, Stay away from these. Um, These are the wrong kinds of distractions and influences, and you don't want to You don't want to have anything to do with those. Instead, pursue, chase, hunt, run after the the right things. The things that are important to God. And he lists a few. Righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. And then down in verse 20, he also has the admonition of guarding the deposit. So it's the idea of, of running away, distancing yourself from these temptations, but then pursuing and going after this, and then when you have it, to guard it, um, and to guard the deposit that was entrusted to us. So that's Paul's solution to Timothy of, of what, be aware of these temptations and stay away from them and pursue the things of God. It's interesting when you look at the lists of qualifications given for pastors and church leaders in The New Testament here, most of those qualifications are not skills. The one exception may be apt to teach. That that's more of a skill. But the rest of the qualifications have all to do with character. It's about who you are as a person. The reality is that God is far more concerned about who we are as a person. Our character than he is about our abilities, our strengths, and uh, our per- ability to perform and, and do certain things. And so I want to focus this morning on four areas of character that I believe matter to God. And this is certainly not a comprehensive list, and there's even some overlap in these four. But I'm gonna I'm gonna look at four uh, four I believe they're key characteristics that we want to uh, that every person. It should be valuable to. And the first one is that of humility. <clears throat> most of us are quite adept, quite skilled at putting on a false humility. Um, and I would venture to say that for most of us, when we do this and we put ourselves down like, ah, oh, nah, it's nothing type of thing, when somebody compliments you, we're really, it's not because we don't believe it's true, but to gain additional affirmation. That's what we're doing. Um, you know, when somebody compliments you about something, thank them. I mean, that's the gracious thing to do. It's something that someone has seen in you, and, or they've seen you do, and, and simply thank them. When we downplay it, Or pretend that it's not really true, it's both dismissive of the other person's perspective and sincerity, and in a way, it puts the other person down. It's like you're saying, no, you don't, that's not really accurate. And so it's a way of almost putting the other person down when we do that. Probably one reason humility is so difficult is outside Christianity, there's really no place for humility. It's not a virtue at all. It's only within Christianity that humility is a virtue. And maybe that's why there's such a distortion of what true uh, humility is and why we dismiss genuine compliments when we live in a, value, a society that devalues, uh, devalues humility. But I, I do believe that we need to learn, as disciples of Jesus Christ, what true humility is and to learn to live in that. Both, it's, it, that's where we both view ourselves and others from a proper perspective. That's what humility is, is that we're viewing ourselves and others from a proper perspective. Humility begins with the o- acute awareness that I am a sinner created in the image of God, and that I've been redeemed by God's grace. That's where it has to start. And then through the life-changing power of the Holy Spirit, I can now contribute to the building of God's kingdom in meaningful and insignificant ways. That's what humility is. It's recognizing who I was, what God did for me, and that I can now bring something of value to the church, to his kingdom. And that's according to his definitions. That's not according to our definitions. And then it's also, uh, I am no more and no less than designed by God. I am designed by God. And, And just recognizing that. But then it's also an acute awareness that every person around me is created in the image of God as well and has an equal opportunity and potential to do exactly the same as what I have. It's, it's, it's extending that same grace to those around us. Every person we encounter is a sinner who can be redeemed by God's grace if they haven't been and through transformation build God's kingdom in significant ways. I think once we start to understand that, it will affect our interactions. Do we understand that? Do we allow that to impact the way that we relate to people? Jesus modeled humility by coming to earth. And I find it fascinating in the Gospel of John that he also does not take more credit than what God intended while he's here on earth. He could have taken a lot more credit for himself, but he didn't. Throughout the Gospel of John, we have seven I am statements where Jesus very emphatically declares that I am the bread of life. I am the resurrection and the life. I am, I don't uh, have them all on, uh, memorized, but very clearly he says I am. However... There's also verses in John that he says what I am not. And I think that we need to that, understand that, that for the first one that I have is in John 6.38. For I have come down to earth not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. So he's not here to do just what he wants. He had the power to do that, but that's not why he came. And so he, he's not here to do his own bidding, but what the Father sent him to do. And then in chapter 8, if God were your Father, uh, Jesus speaking, you would love me, for I came from God, and I am here. I came not of my own accord, accord, but he sent me again. It's like he's not taking any credit for himself of him being here, but rather he's only here because God the Father wanted him to be here, and sent him here. So he's no, taking no credit for himself. And then a little later in that chapter, yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. That this is not about promoting himself. It's not about bringing attention to who I am, but rather it's about pointing people to the Father. <clears throat> and i don't think i need to remind us but our natural tendency is to hold ourselves to a different standard than what we through which we view that of other people and and that's where i think one of the big one challenge, one of the biggest challenges and uh, characteristics of humility that we need to recognize that we that when you do that that's not humility we have transition into pride when we do that. When we do it, we typically have a better view of ourselves than others, which leads to feelings of pride, arrogance, and superiority. Well, I'm better than, except when we're feeling intimidated or inferior to someone, and then we reverse this and we end up artificially elevating the other person. And then we denigrate ourselves, which is also not an accurate way of, of thinking about this. Neither response is godly, both are distortions of reality, and humility is recognizing that I am no more and no less than God designed, than designed by God. And how I view myself and others matters to God. <clears throat> Familiar verses in James 4, but he gives more grace. individuals, church leaders, or any other disciple in remarkable ways. When we humble ourselves, it opens the door for God to work in ways that is not possible ourselves. A lack of humility results in these persons relying on their own abilities, their charisma, their personalities, their giftings, and then end up manipulating people and circumstances to get and accomplish what they desire. And that's done apart from the Spirit of God and for personal advancement. When it comes to our character, humility is an important component that I believe really matters to God. The second aspect is that of accountability. It seems self-evident that effective accountability is one of the best ways Protect yourself and others spiritually and morally. And yet, why is it that it's not more broadly, more widely practiced? And I think the Apostle Paul had this on his heart as well. Uh, we looked at 1 Timothy 6. If you turn back a couple of pages to chapter 4, verses 11 to 16, uh, Peter uh, Paul has some admonition for Timothy there. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of the elders laid hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that you may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Paul makes it very clear to Timothy that leaders, and I would broaden that, that all disciples have a responsibility to set an example in all areas of life. And a key is to model what it means to be accountable to federal to fellow disciples and the church as a whole. And it's interesting too some of the words that he uses throughout this um, you know he ha- I'm jumping ahead but keep a close watch on yourself. He says immerse yourself practice these things um, and you know there's just different, Things, don't neglect the gift you have uh, you know, and set the example. Command and teach these. But he's, he's very clear that this is, this is, these are important things. And then Timothy is encouraged here to set an example. And I think that another way of phrasing this is to be accountable for in these five key areas that are very relevant today. In speech, what we say what he says, in conduct, what we do, in love, our motivations and attitudes, our faith, in faith, our theology, what we believe about God, and impurity, our morality. All of these things are key areas of our life, and we're to set an example for others in this, but then also I believe that this, we're to be accountable in these areas Accountability is not a formality. It's not a checklist, a script, or a recipe that gives you automatic protection in these areas. It requires a great deal of vulnerability and honesty as well as commitment um, to be accountable, truly accountable to others. And if someone has developed an, a lifestyle or has a character flaw that is not 100%, uh, had, The idea of concealing. If somebody has a lifestyle that regularly conceals or selectively reveals choices and decisions that are going on in their own lives, um, especially those that might be questioned by your fellow believers, accountability becomes impossible at that point. We have to be completely honest if we're going to be accountable. We can't be hiding things from others, just because of what that might mean. I have met with various men over the years in various forms of accountability, um, some far more frequently than others, and so forth. And several things that I've just learned, and these are, we, we all know this, but I don't know that we would always say it, but going through the motions is not accountability. Just because you meet and kind of go through the motions does not mean you're actually being accountable. Lying to your accountability partners is not accountability. Pretending to be something that you're not is the antithesis of accountability. I mean, it's just, don't, don't even try to call it accountability if you're not truly going to be accountable. So, but I would encourage every disciple of Jesus to identify two or three individuals of the same gender, of your same gender, with whom... Each of you is fully transparent about these five key areas that Paul identified to Timothy. In being accountable about what we say, what we do, our motivations and attitudes, our theology, and our morality. You know, it does require genuine honesty, but it also requires a willingness to lovingly confront and challenge each other to make changes. It's not just about being honest ourselves, but it's also about being willing to ask hard questions of others. Mutual trust is an absolute requirement. It's impossible to be mutually accountable without complete trust in those that we're accountable to and knowing that it is rooted in love and genuine care for each other. Integrity, there are several other character qualities that I, I've not I specified, or, but they're character qualities that need to be present in anyone that's being accountable, and that's integrity. Uh, already mentioned accountability will fail without integrity, half-truths. lies. Uh, Why aren't they half lies instead of half truths? I'm not sure. Um, Lack of integrity is going to undermine other areas of life too. And then transparency and just being willing to be open about the realities of life is going to require a lot of humility and vulnerability. And most of us struggle with in certain areas of life that we would rather not talk about. That's just reality. And then self-control. You know, one of the results of genuine accountability is an increased awareness, willingness, and ability to control our own impulses and appetites through the help of the Holy Spirit. That comes as a result of brothers and sisters speaking lovingly into our lives. While not an accountability group per se, Nate, Ivan, and I have met weekly with Few exceptions for the last 10 years uh, as a pastoral team. And I, like I said, that's not for accountability. That's not the primary reason. But it has been a huge blessing to them, me, and I believe the same is true for them. You know, we do make time periodically to simply discuss what's going on with our lives personally and what we're struggling with and how we can pray for each other. And we have some hard conversations. Um, we have very different personalities. We Need each other, and I believe that we help each other uh, along the way. And that to me is just a picture. I mean, it could be so much more than that, even, but that is a picture of what I'm talking about here. It's such an important component in protecting ourselves as well as those around us. Accountability does matter to God, <clears throat> courage matters. Uh, Joshua 1.9, very familiar verse. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous, do not be frightened, and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. At least four times at the onset of Joshua's leadership, God tells him to be strong and courageous. Now, If a person is naturally strong and courageous, I don't think God would have to tell him four different times to be strong and courageous. To me, it indicates that he was probably the opposite of that uh, as far as natural attributes for Joshua. But God made it clear it's not based on your natural abilities. But Joshua, you conduct yourself in a strong and courageous manner regardless of your own feelings. Courage is important for leaders. You know, there's a lot of, leadership requires many decisions with limited facts and uncertain results. And you simply make the best decision with what you have and proceed. You know, in the last year with COVID, this is a reality many times because, and it became obvious to everyone here, is you know, we were forced to make decisions week to week Only to have mandates or requirements change as quickly as we could implement changes. It it was like a moving target. But then also along with that, no leader or leadership team will always get it right. That's that's also a fact. But indecision also communicates uncertainty and ambiguity, and that's not helpful. So... Yes, there's courage required to simply make decisions, admit when you're wrong, and move ahead as we go. And that's certainly required in other areas of life as well. There's several areas that I would like for you to just think about that courage is required. <clears throat> uh, we need to be, have the courage to do the right thing. Whether personally, in business, in the family, or in the church, when you know what the right thing is... Do it. Um, there's many times when it's going to be far easier not to do the right thing. And that's exactly when you need the courage to go ahead and do the right thing anyway. Um, when there's clarity, act with courage. Um, and you do the right thing regardless. We need the courage to confront sin. Sin in the church is like cancer in the human body. If ignored, it's going to spread and disease and weaken the entire body. Sin cannot be tolerated regardless who it is. Whether it's the biggest donor, the most popular teacher, the most influential member, the lead pastor, there simply can't be exceptions. When there is sin, it must be confronted both with courage and love. And then we're going to need courage to stand in the face of opposition, even persecution, like Daniel's three friends A time may come when we simply have to choose between standing for God or compromising Him. And I just pray that we will always have the courage to stand for God's truths. We don't know what the future holds, but the honor of taking a stand for God may be much closer than what we realize. And we also need the courage to admit when we were wrong. Leaders do make mistakes. And sometimes other um, disciples make mistakes. We're all human. Regardless of who or when or where, we must be willing to courageously admit an error in judgment when that happens. There's no need to justify oneself. <laughs> Simply admit, I was wrong. And, uh, and those may be some of the hardest words to say uh, in our vocabulary many times. On this side of eternity, none of us are perfect. We're going to all have admit have an opportunity to admit wrongdoing likely multiple times. Courage matters to God and is certainly needed in our churches. The fourth characteristic is that of faithfulness. In the parable of the talents in Matthew 25, the highest compliment the master gives his servants is that of well done, good and faithful servants. My desire is that One day, I can hear those words, but beyond that, my desire is that each one of you can hear those same words as well. That said, I know I have stumbled many times. Thankfully, God doesn't require perfection. He does require faithfulness. None of us are perfect, but each of us has the capacity to be faithful, in Timothy's uh, Paul's letter to Timothy, he says, "Fight the good fight. Don't give up. Flee sin. Pursue God. Never give up. Finishing well should be the goal. Life and discipleship is a ma- marathon. It's not a sprint. It's not the goal is not the speed with which we run the race. The goal is to finish." and to finish faithfully, and to finish to the words, well done. You know, in Scripture, we see a lot of examples of leaders, and and men, and even women. Some finish well, others don't so well. Um, You know, Moses finished well, in spite of 40 years in the wilderness, where he was sent there after his Egyptian education, he did well, but then, he, he, but his actions also cost him entry into the promised land. But he finished strong. He was finished faithful. Joshua started well right after Jake, uh, Moses. You know, we have no record of him finishing well or how he finished. But we do have no record of succession of another leader, and we don't have... And we do have the book of Judges, which is a rather dark chapter in Israel's history immediately following Joshua. So it does not appear that Joshua finished well. King Saul started strong and finished an absolute failure. King David started well. And his finish, I think we would have to say, is less than stellar. He faltered in the years, last years of his. Leadership and life. King Solomon started strong and finished very weak. Daniel is one that started strong and finished strong. The recorded history that we have reveals that we have far fewer examples of influential leaders finishing well than those who don't. And I think that's a lesson for, and a warning for each one of us. Let's not be among those that falter. Rather, it should be a call to faithfulness now and for the long haul for each of us. Because we're representatives of the King of Kings, the creator of the universe. 2 Corinthians 5. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, regard him thus no longer. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God for our sake. He made us to be sin who knew no sin, that in him he might, we might become the righteousness of God. An ambassador is a representative from a foreign country or kingdom that acts on behalf of and represents the leader and king from where they were sent. You know, and thinking about in our terms earthly terms. The character of an ambassador is critical when a president of the United States selects a person to go to the other side of the world and represent the United States and its leader accurately. And yet that's exactly what we are. We have been sent to planet Earth from the kingdom of God for and to represent the King of Kings, the most powerful kingdom in the world. Let's represent our King faithfully and accurately. Let's not give up when we're faced with challenges that are bound to come. You are an ambassador appointed by God for here and now. It is important to finish faithfully for God rather than pursuing and accomplishing your own selfish ambitions. Be faithful to the end. In conclusion, your true character matters. Who you are deep down, who you are, who you really are, matters more than anything else. It's not what other people's impressions are or even what they think they know about you. But your humility matters. Viewing yourself and others as God's image bearers. Your level of accountability matters. Being honest about yourself to others, and also willing to call others to account. Your courage matters. A willingness to take action and do the right thing. And your faithfulness matters. A desire and goal to finish well. We're in this for the long haul, not short-term gain or benefit, being an ambassador who represents well the King of Kings. And my prayer is that one day, our Master and King will welcome each one of us into eternity with the words, well done, good and faithful servant. Let's stand together for prayer. (laughs) Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this message from Scripture. Thank you for your call on each one of our lives in developing into men and women of character, of godliness, um, of a godly character, not not character that is a facade for something else going on inside of us, but that our true character is that which reflects and is becoming more and more like the image of of Christ in our lives, that we become more and more like Christ. I pray that you would guide us in all of these areas, and I pray more than anything else that one day you will welcome us with well done. Thank you and dismiss us with your blessing. In Jesus' name, amen.